Welcome to Petrifaction Horror Stories. If you like stories about ghosts, monsters, the weird and mysterious, Bigfoot and other cryptids, UFOs and the paranormal, you're in the right place. like stories of the strange and unusual, including true crime stories and unsolved mysteries, you're still in the right place. host Petey and I'd like to offer you some advice. Lock your doors, turn down the lights, and sit back, get comfortable. Try to relax and just remember friends, be prepared to be petrified. So today's show is about The Good Nurse. The Good Nurse is a film that is currently streaming on Netflix. So if you're interested in this story and want to know more and just see it, I'm going to direct you to Netflix and stream it. It is currently one of the top 10 downloads on Netflix. So The Good Nurse stars Eddie Redmayne from the Harry Potter Fantastic Beasts franchise. He played Newt Scamander in Fantastic Beasts. Now, The Good Nurse is based on a true story, and it's the story of Charles Cullen. Eddie Redmayne plays Charles Cullen. Now, Charlie was a self-described angel of death. He admitted to killing 40 patients. He was convicted of 29 deaths and is serving time in a New Jersey prison doing 11 life sentences. He is not eligible for parole until the year 2403. Charlie has admitted to 40 murders, but the experts who are investigating the case believe that that number is well above 40. They think it could be as high as 400 making him the most prolific serial killer in American history. And today's show is all about Charlie Cullen. Charlie Cullen's career lasted for 16 years. The facilities where he worked included several in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. 
He began his career at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey. He went on to work at Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, Hunterdon Medical Center, and Morristown Medical Center, also in New Jersey. And his last job in Jersey was at Somerset Medical Center in Somerville, New Jersey. In Pennsylvania, he worked at Liberty Nursing and Rehab Center, Lehigh Valley Hospital, Sacred Heart Hospital, Easton Hospital, and St. Luke's Hospital. On part one, we covered Charlie Collins' first jobs as a nurse. His first job was at St. Barnabas Hospital, where he worked and killed patients in the burn unit. He went to Warren Hospital next, working in ICU, and was fired when suspicious deaths occurred. From Warren Hospital, he went to Hunterdon, and he worked in their ICU. He quit when he was told by a supervisor over many mistakes documented that one more mistake and you will be let go. Cullen then went to Morristown Medical Center, where he was fired for poor performance. Then he obtained a Pennsylvania nursing license and he worked for an agency that placed him in Allentown, Pennsylvania at Liberty Nursing and Rehab Center where he broke a patient's wrist and that incident is why he was terminated. He was still with the agency and the agency found him yet another job in Pennsylvania. Now on to the rest of the story. The staffing agency then placed him in a job at Easton Hospital in Easton, Pennsylvania. And as I had previously mentioned, Warren Hospital and Easton Hospital are about a mile apart. Well, at Easton, Ottoman Schramm died of a digoxin overdose. The family requested an autopsy and another internal investigation was started at a facility that employed Charlie Collin. It was concluded that Schramm died of a drug overdose and his autopsy report was turned over to the coroner's office. However, his death was ruled accidental. By this time, Charlie had moved on. He had taken a position at Lehigh Valley Hospital in Allentown at their burn unit. Now, years had gone by since he worked in the burn unit at St. Barnabas, and in this time there were now new drugs even for the youngest of patients. And the burn units were no longer referred to as scream units. New and better drugs and methods to treat burns had come a long way since the late 80s. This was Colin's first encounter with the Pixis system. The Pixis system is a drug system that kept track of drugs. It's kind of like an ATM that keeps track of money only in this case, instead of tracking money, it tracked particular drugs that the nurses would give out. Charlie's co-workers treated him like a rookie, like he was a new fish, and they were cold to him. Charlie really didn't like it much at Lehigh Valley Hospital. He didn't like the hospital or its nurses much at all. And more patients died. One in particular was Matthew Mattern, who was burned badly, over 70% of his body, in a vehicle accident. He was only 22. 
but the chances of him surviving were not very good. And Charlie loaded Mattern's IV with a huge dose of digoxin while on night shift, and Mattern was deceased by the break of dawn. Charlie went home the beginning of the new millennium. His shift had begun on New Year's Eve, and he attempted suicide one more time. Lehigh Valley nurses and his supervisors made it clear they felt only contempt for Nurse Cullen. He tried to transfer out, but none of the departments wanted him. He only worked there for three months while looking for other job opportunities. He killed more patients when he worked. He called off shifts as much as he could. He left them shorthanded, and he didn't care. Charlie was interviewed and hired next at St. Luke's Hospital in Fountain Hill, Bethlehem, PA. He received a pay raise as well as a $5,000 sign-on bonus at a top 100 hospital. Charlie was going to be a star. The codes at St. Luke's were almost constant once Charlie started working there. It was only a short time before Charlie realized he didn't like St. Luke's either. He found his co-workers cold, and they gave him more of the Lehigh Valley attitude. He knew he'd not be staying at St. Luke's either. Then the nurses noticed drugs were missing. These weren't drugs that addicts would want, so why? Nor did anyone catch on that the new nurse, Charlie, would collect and put away the drugs when they came up from pharmacy. He'd go into the drug room on his floor and inject bags of IBs with random drugs. He found he didn't need to be there when codes began. He could cause chaos and not even be around. A nurse preparing for her day found a sharps container to be full. And a sharps container generally keeps sharps items. It's kind of what it's called that. When you work in a medical facility, you have things like scalpels, uh, anything sharp, glass items, pipettes that are glass, razors, blades, many different things go into sharps containers, but they're sharp things, right? So the fact that she found cardboard boxes inside a sharps container was a big red flag. This shouldn't be happening. Who'd be doing this? Technically speaking, cardboard boxes should be put in a recycling bin and they were in the sharps container. Well, this nurse opened the sharps container. She found white cardboard boxes. There were empty containers that were for poisonous drugs depending on how they were used. These were blood pressure medications, cardiac meds, diabetic, diabetic medications, and paralyzing drugs. They had to find out who this was, and they started to keep a watch on the medical storage room. It wasn't long before they saw Charlie go inside. He closed the door and stayed inside. Well, Charlie had been made. They found the empty sharps bin full again after Charlie left the room. Shortly after, the codes on the floor began again. Colin showed up for a shift, and sure enough, the empty sharps bin was full again. 
Charlie was called into the office and was questioned by a hospital lawyer. Charlie knew they had him. He was given a choice. He could resign with neutral references or be fired. So he resigned, and security walked him right out of the facility to his car. You would think at this point, Charlie would not be able to get another job. He's using his previous employment as references. Nobody's telling anybody anything. St. Luke's doesn't come forward either. They give him a neutral reference. All the places give him references. And Charlie now moves on to Sacred Heart Hospital in Allentown. What Charlie didn't realize is that the nurses from Easton Hospital told nurses at Sacred Heart about his reputation. All these nurses banded together and demanded that Charlie be let go. If Charlie wasn't let go, they were going to leave en masse. Well, the hospital couldn't afford to lose their nurses, so Charlie was let go during his orientation period. So what to do? Charlie had burned his bridges now in the Lehigh Valley. He went back to New Jersey and applied to Somerset Medical Center in Somerville, New Jersey. This would be the last facility that he worked in. He received a $10,000 bonus to begin working here in September of 2002. Now, to get the job at Somerset, his references included St. Luke's, Lehigh Valley Burn Unit, and Liberty Nursing. None of them let Somerset know of all the things that had happened. While at Somerset Hospital, Charlie met co-worker Amy Loughran, who became his friend. Now, Amy lived in upstate New York but she traveled to New Jersey to work this job. She received a huge bonus and a housing stipend to work at Somerset Hospital. The hospital was desperate for workers. While at Somerset Hospital, Charlie doesn't even know the number of patients that he killed while he was there. His first kill was with digoxin in late January of 2003 with the death of Eleanor Stoker, followed by the use of Pavulon, which was a paralytic, was administered to Joyce Mangini. He dosed Joyce Mangini on his 43rd birthday. Dying that night was also Gio Camino Toto. He was now using different cocktails of meds, not just use of one or two drugs. He did, however, know that it was use of norepinephrine that blew out John Schenecker's heart. Michael Strenko was young, and his condition was upsetting to the nurses on the ward. He was only 21, he was a college student, and he had a genetic autoimmune disease that caused multiple system failures. 
a combination of drugs in his IV bag were all it took for Stranko to code. And then there were multiple codes that night, not just Stranko. Amy started to question things on the ward. There was a new insulin drug protocol where nurses had to keep track of insulin, and that was kind of unheard of for this drug. Insulin isn't a drug that is a narcotic. It's not something that addicts want. So she didn't understand why they had a new protocol, and she refused to sign the new SOPs. The administrators didn't give Amy or any of the nurses any answers to why this is now required. But obviously, there was some kind of a problem. And there was an investigation happening internally. The pharmacy was responsible for going through the Pixis records. Now remember, the Pixis is a machine that is kind of like an ATM for the drugs. So they were going to go through the records. One of the pharmacy employees, Nancy Dougherty, contacted the New Jersey Poison Control Center. Now, she was told to contact them as kind of a reference. They needed to know the math on how much digoxin it would take to cause somebody to go into a spiral. So they were trying to figure out the math to go back in time to see how long it would take from the injection time until death. By bringing the New Jersey Poison Control Center in, things did not remain within the hospital system. They'd been instructed that they'd be required to go to authorities to report the deaths. They were also instructed from the New Jersey Poison Control Center that this was deliberate and had to be reported. At Somerset Hospital, Father Florian Gall had a 9.61 digoxin reading, and other readings previous to his death were less than two. So if it wasn't a lab error, something had to be going on. It wasn't a lab error. The lab repeated the tests, and it came up the same way. So this meant that this was deliberate. Someone gave him a huge dose. They had a serial killer within their midst because the body does not make digoxin. Nancy was told, you now have a police matter. Dr. Bruce Rock from the New Jersey Poison Control Center had become involved and would not allow this to remain an internal investigation. There was an obligation to report. This is a sentinel event. Those are words no hospital administrator ever wants to hear. Dr. Marcus, also from the New Jersey Poison Control Center, actually was the reporting agency to the Department of Health in New Jersey. All the conversations between Somerset Hospital and the Poison Control Center had been recorded. And it was after Somerset found this out that they finally reported the incidents to the Department of Health. Charlie was brought in in mid-July to speak with an attorney at the hospital, a Mr. Ray Fleming. Colin was not Gall's nurse the night that he died, but he had been for three nights, and he ordered Didge on the first night and canceled it. 
Charlie was working on the night that Gall died, and ordered and canceled Didge then, too. Charlie was aware that he was being questioned about the hospital deaths, but that didn't stop Charlie Collin. While the investigation was in full gear, Charlie killed another patient using insulin. That patient was Mr. Strickland. A family member noticed a twitch in his arm, and then he went into full seizures. Strickland had no blood glucose. The nursing staff fought to save Mr. Strickland. He survived for two weeks, then died of an overdose of digoxin. Cullen killed at least five patients in a short period of time that summer, using a variety of medicines to do it. However, it was not until October that detectives with the Somerset Police Department finally got called in to investigate the murders. The internal investigation had been going on for five months. The police detectives, Tim Braun and Daniel Baldwin, thought with a five-month investigation they would be receiving boxes of documents and information. However, to their shock, officials at the hospital only gave them one folder containing merely four sheets of paper, and it contained only one name, a Charles Cullen. When asked questions, the risk manager and lawyers had little more to say or add to it. After five months, the police were basically having to start all over. And getting information needed to do this investigation was not an easy thing to do because the hospital wasn't talking. The detectives went to relatives and asked the detectives went to relatives and asked if they would allow for graves to be opened and additional autopsies to be done. In mid-October, Colin drugged two of his patients with Xanax. This left them relaxed and quiet, and it was a quiet night. However, the following night, Colin then made several orders for meds through the PIXA system. He took small doses out one at a time. He did this over and over again for the next several nights. On October 21st, Colin killed another patient with digoxin. In the meantime, one of the suspicious deaths at Somerset Hospital was being exhumed per request of a family member. This was the body of Father Florian Gall. His sister, nurse, was mortified to find when detectives told her what they suspected. And they asked her if she would be willing to allow them to do a second autopsy. She understood Didge. She felt that the Somerset Hospital should have told her the amount of Didge that was in her brother's body at least as a common courtesy. She was shocked, angry and upset, and she allowed the exhumation to take place. October 30th at Somerset was a slow night. At the end of his shift, Charlie was asked to come into the HR office. He was terminated. The reason given, Charlie was fired for lying on his application for inaccuracies on his application. 
He'd used the wrong dates of employment for his previous jobs at St. Luke's and at Lehigh Valley Hospitals. It was the best and only reason that Somerset could come up with to get rid of him. It also would allow Cullen to apply for and possibly get yet another nursing job in another ICU unit. Despite the best efforts of detectives to connect Cullen with the deaths, they needed more, and this is when they began to interview nurses at Somerset Hospital, including Amy. Amy at first was shocked, and she refused to help them. Eventually, she began to believe that Charlie, her Charlie, really did the things that the detectives said that he'd done, and they asked for her help. They needed an admission of guilt from Colin, and this is where they believed Amy could help them. Eventually, Amy agreed to help. As a nurse, she made a vow to help patients, and given a little bit of time to absorb what the detectives had told her, she really thought she had a duty to help, even if Charlie had been her best friend. She agreed to help as much as possible. Amy would meet with Charlie while wearing a wire, and their conversations were recorded. Amy got enough for the police to charge Charlie with murder. Currently, Charlie Cullen is 62 years old and serving 18 consecutive life sentences. This is a quote from Amy Loughran from an article. Killer nurse Charles Cullen had a darkness to him, recalls colleague who helped put murderer behind bars. Amy Loughran shares her account in the Netflix true crime doc, a follow-up to The Good Nurse starring Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain. This is an article by Stephanie Nolasco from Fox News. This is what Amy had to say. I wanted to believe he was a mercy killer. I wanted to believe so badly that my friend Charlie just wanted to put people out of their misery, but the patients he chose were better. Many of them had their discharge papers ready. Many of them were already on the road to recovery. They were going to be transferred out. Some of them were very young and were definitely going to survive. And then I saw the medications he chose, she continued. There are hundreds of medications he could have given these patients just to help them fall asleep and go off into nothingness, never waking up again peacefully. Instead, he chose medications that were brutal. He chose medications that would terrorize the patients. I do not believe he is sorry at all. As a result of this case, the Cullen Act of New Jersey came about. This is to help protect patients in hospitals. And since 2003, 37 states have enacted this law or laws very similar to it. In Pennsylvania, the law states that it prevents employers in Pennsylvania from being sued for work history disclosed about current or former employees. And Cullen is not eligible for parole until the year 2403. Music for today's podcast is purchased and licensed through Pond Fot. 
Special thank you to Sound Phenomenon, providing fun orchestra stock music from Pond 5. And to Sterling Audio for uplifting acoustic pop heading home. Stock music also provided through Pond 5. And that's all the time we have for today's show. I want to thank you for joining me and listening to today's story. And if you like the show, please hit subscribe, give it a rating, or tell a friend and share the show. Until next time, this has been Petrifaction. Take care, folks. <laughs>